from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Good stuff so far. We are really energetic pop this morning. Everybody come and meet this cow. <laughs> Why? Well, What's the cow got going on? The cow's pretty nice. The cow's pretty sweet. The cow is made entirely of meat. <laughs> Okay, that's true. I don't know about entire. There's some bone in there somewhere. Yeah, well, hey, that's... unless there isn't, that's why you want to see the a meat cow. cow. Meat cow, come and meet the meat cow. Everybody, come to the meat cow farm. They got no bones and they got no hooves. All just meat. It's real good. <laughs> We also got a farmhand. She's pretty new. <laughs> new to the game of rhyming with you. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Pretty hey, new. Everybody's got to start somewhere here. That's why you're invited to have a beer. Right, okay. All right. All right. So, hey, <laughs> woo! Finally getting into season four of Westworld. Mm, you know? True. We don't have lives, so it's just TV. It's just, you know, every day is just marked by the passing of television shows. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that just everyone now, though? Hey, how you doing? Pretty good. Been watching this TV show. Oh, yeah, I've been watching this TV show. Well, oh, interesting. Tell me about the TV show you watch. Tell me I should watch it. I won't. No, I'll tell you. You should watch this TV show. You won't. <laughs> <laughs> what a, what a connection won't. we've made. I <laughs> Bye. See you in three years. This is another argument for living forever because I want to finish TV. I want to. I, like I want to. Com I'm a completionist. All of TV, and I want to see all of TV at some point. Wow. Do you mean at TV in other countries as well? All, all TV. of TV. I you have to watch start those it. Korean soap operas now, then, because they I get like know. a billion trillion episodes. I'm gonna have to. And get, I've heard they're incredible. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm gonna have to get, you know, eighty-five screens yes, going at going. the same time. It's gonna look like the last scene of the Matrix, to <laughs> just. 
TVs everywhere. Do you actually see anything shows. though with that many? I I I get sensory overload. I'm like when I can't I look at that many things. Take the RCA cable and I run it into all the TVs. There's a there's a box and then I plug that into my brain. Oh okay. It would be funny though. I have to say, like if you just suddenly, like if I was suddenly given martial arts prowess, but yeah. no more muscles than I already have. <laughs> like I could kick and punch, but right. they wouldn't have a lot of power behind them. Right. Well, <laughs> they also have the technology that I'm waiting for where they just plugged a bunch of needles into your skin and rebuilt your muscles while you just lay there. Ooh. There was a, the only Star Wars book I ever read was Shadows of the Empire and Prince Shizor was the bad guy in that. Mm. And I remember he had like a, a little electronic device that he plugged that he put on his body and it electronically contracted his muscles mm-hmm. while he was doing other stuff so he was working out without yeah. having to work out Does i know that they, exist? they they sort of have that i think okay. it's mostly not you know true. <laughs> yeah it's it's mostly snake oil but uh if they could get that tech going for real you know save me a lot of time <laughs> it we, uh, me a lot of time. We spent a whole hour at the gym this morning just uh, out there, pumped some iron. I never read any Star Wars books, but I did read the novelization of Independence Day. Independence Day, the novelization. How to hold up? Um, the movie's better. <laughs> 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 You're reading it going, I, I guess I wish I was watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I had, I distinctly remember, even as a kid, I knew this was silly, mm-hmm. but I had the novelization of the movie yep. Jurassic Park. <laughs> and I was Which like, is, of course. But there's there's already a novel of this. But, you know, they are very different. They are very different. And this one had cool pictures in the middle. Oh, that's Remember fun. when it was hard to find pictures of mm. movies? Yeah. You couldn't just... You, get, you couldn't just go on the internet and find a picture from a movie. You had to buy a book that had them in the center. <laughs> it's a very big selling point. Like, right. the middle of this book, there's screenshots from the film. No. Like, what? Eight. Full color. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like watching the movie without watching the movie. <laughs> Those were the days. They were some days, that's Things for sure. Things were tough back then. We had to we had to tough it out. You used our imagination yeah. to read the novelization of a movie we already watched. <laughs> <laughs> that was another thing. Lego sets, you know, they oh, just had generic... Sci-fi Lego sets. They didn't have a Star Wars Lego set. I had to make my own Star Wars Lego set. I used my imagination, damn it. Now it's all branded. This is the most grandpa shit you say is the Lego set stuff. Drives me crazy. <laughs> Back Just in the day. Doing it all for him. These kids today, they got no imagination. <laughs> branded this and that. <laughs> when I was your age, we opened that box and we pretended. Well... It's time to Lego this banter and get into the story today. <laughs> We're back with Walt Whitman today. Yeah. And hopefully you enjoyed the first episode where he found he met his true love, Peter Doyle. Yeah. And, you know, cruised for some ass before that. <laughs> Walt Whitman was out there <laughs> getting it. Prowling. Yeah. Again, you think of, you think of writers as like very solitary people. And in a lot of ways he was. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean... You know, I, I'm not dead. <laughs> That's right. I, do I, if you, writers, if you prick us, do we not bleed? <laughs> if you shake that ass in front of us, do we not want to get some? I get thirsty. <laughs> thirst. Do we not thirst? Do we not thirst? <laughs> Walt was thirsty. Right. But yeah, when we last left Walt, yeah, he had met his true love, Peter Doyle. He had finally gained some literary acclaim for his poems, Oh, Captain, My Captain, and Lilacs in the dooryard and he was even getting an edition of leaves of grass published in the uk across the pond um even though it had been edited quite a bit which he was not very happy about he didn't like to edit his work down but he's like fine whatever (laughs) whatever (laughs) it takes but his words certainly won the hearts of at least two authors in england and ireland and their letters to walt are so full of love and adoration and passion they could make you blush. Oh, my. Okay. Mm. So let's hear about the joys of 19th century fanboys 
and the heartbreak of friend zoning. Oh my, okay, let's go. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. Anne Gilchrist was an English woman. She married at 23 years old. She had four kids with her literary critic husband. Okay. And they didn't make much money, but he was very highly respected in the writing community. Yeah. So their friends included people like George Eliot and Thomas Carlyle and John Ruskin and Christina Rossetti. Surely. Big authory names. Names. That probably matter to a lot of people. I'm not familiar I'm with. I'm not too familiar with any of them either, but, but they if you were, were big. Yeah. <laughs> they were the names. <laughs> if you were the... a late 19th century literature person. Mm-hmm. Whoa, man. It's like we just named the Beatles. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, oh, shit. People just knocking down barriers to get to Christina Rossetti. That's right. Her yeah. neighbors are like a who's who of... <laughs> Who's what? Who, yeah. What wrote? Who wrote some shit? Who's who of who wrote that? <laughs> <laughs> well, Anne's husband tragically died of scarlet fever when oh. Anne was only 33 years old. And Anne was like extremely smart. She's very well read. She was interested in science and philosophy and beauty and all of these things. And so she decided, you know what? I'm going to finish my husband's biography of William Blake, the poet oh. William Blake. Uh, uh, Little lamb. That's right. Who little made lamb. Thee? Who made Dost thee? thou know who made thee? Yeah. Um, you, you're a big, you're a William Blake fan. Uh, no, I would not say that. But oh. I knew William Blake well, partly from, oh, I know what it's from. <laughs> the Blade Runner video game. Uh, the bad guy in that quoted a lot of William Blake. He said, what was it? It was, um, um, hang on, I know this one. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, you know what? Quick stop down at Poetry Corner to read this William Blake poem. I was angry with my friend. I told my wrath. My wrath did end. I was angry with my foe. I told it not. My wrath did grow. Oh. And that was like his his thing in the game. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Those replicants, very poetic androids. Well, and look how educational the Blade Runner video game was yeah, for you. Yeah, I learned about William Blake. You know, I bet your teachers tried to interest you in William Blake. Didn't get anywhere, but then that Blade Runner video game, boom. That's suddenly all you took. could just pull it out of your ass. You That's said that without even looking it up. It's called, I did have to look up the title. It's called A Poison Tree. Oh. There's a lot more to it. I just That's a selection. Right. Just I do like that poem a lot, actually. Yeah. Well, Anne's husband had been working on a very good biography of William Blake. Okay. And so, and he died before he was able to finish it. So Anne's like, you know what? Let me take up the pen, get this done. And with the help of Christina Rossetti's brothers, Gabriel and William Rossetti, who were publishers, um, the Blake biography was published in 1863 to great acclaim. And Anne Gilchrist, her name started to really means something to a lot of people. Um, And a few years later, in 1867, William Rossetti read Leaves of Grass, and he fell hard for it. He said, quote, It was the most sonorous poetic voice of the tangibilities of actual and perspective democracy. Oh. But he decided, you know, he would cut the volume in half and publish it with the subtitle A Selection of Poems by Walt Whitman, Uh. so he could kind of leave out the more salacious stuff. Probably the the Calamus cluster specifically, um, to make it more palatable for British readers. And again, Walt Whitman was not thrilled by this choice, but he was like, fine, whatever. Whatever sells. He's like, I guess if that's what it takes, then fine. Um, And William thought, you know, Anne would like this thing. I think I'm going to give her a copy. So he sends one over to her and she reads it. And Anne was immediately a fangirl for life. She told her publisher, William Rossetti, in a letter, quote, Your edition of Walt Whitman's poems holds me entirely spellbound, and I go through it again and again with deepening delight and wonder. Mm. It moved her so much that she anonymously published a glowing review called An Englishwoman's Estimate of Walt Whitman. Mm. It was so full of praise 
and full just complete comprehension of his work that Walt said he'd never get a better review in his life. She got it. Yeah. He was like, this, whoever wrote this, they get it. <laughs> Two years later, Anne decided that she was going to reveal that she was the writer of that essay in a very passionate, personal letter to Walt Whitman. It said, quote, In May 1869 came the voice over the Atlantic to me, oh, the voice of my mate. It must be so. My love rises up out of the very depths of the grief and tramples upon despair. I can wait any time, a lifetime, many lifetimes. I can suffer, I can dare, I can learn, grow, toil, but nothing in life or death can tear out of my heart the passionate belief that one day I shall hear that voice say to me, my mate, the one I so much want, bride, wife, indissoluble, eternal. It is not happiness I plead with God for, it is the very life of my soul. My love is its life. Dear Walt. Whew. My God. Hey, yo. And That's Walt. the first letter she sent to him. <laughs> and Walt slowly folded it back up, put it back in the envelope, and threw it into the sea. He's <laughs> like, my bride. He's going to pretend Yikes. I never saw this. Yikes. Yikes. That is coming on a little strong. Mm, a little bit. Yeah. She's like, I'm not holding back. Let me tell you exactly what's going on with me. Dear Walt, loved your book. And also, I would cut out my heart and give it to you. <laughs> As you have cut out your heart and given it to me on clearly, these pages. Clearly. No, he actually responded to this letter very graciously. Because oh, that's good. Walt, right? Of we course. talked about him being generous. Class act. Pretty non-judgmental guy. Yeah. He's like, let me, you know, I see what's going on here. Uh -huh. So. He basically was kind of telling her, like, yeah, you're so cool that you understood. I put my whole heart and soul into my book, Leaves of yeah. Grass. I've given everything I've got to it. You're so cool for understanding it. And I guess that does make us sort of mates, like, technically, <laughs> in a way, like, really, really, really good friends. <laughs> you know? Get it? <laughs> but over the next several years, she would write to him many times about her ardor and her devotion and everything, like how much she admired him and wanted to be with him and everything, even though he was not very responsive. Sure. Um, after a 10-month silence from him, she wrote him a letter where she's like, okay, maybe I came on too strong right out of the gate. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. I won't write to you like that anymore. I want you to know that I would be totally cool to just be friends with you. Like, we don't need to do the bride-wife-mate thing. It's right. fine. I'm cool. You're cool. We're cool. Everything's <laughs> cool here. But then in the very next line, she's like, but I love you and I would die for you and we'd be perfect together and I would cut out my heart and serve it up on a platter for you. And can't you see that? <laughs> Why can't you see and that? She's just like immediately flips the script. He's oh like, my Damn. God. But in 1873, sadly, Walt had a stroke and this paralyzed him and it affected his health for the rest of his life. He moved to Camden, New Jersey to live with his brother, George, and his mother. Peter Doyle, remember his love that he found in the first episode, the, the bus driver. Long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. He moved nearby as well to help take care of Walt. But it was just a really tough time around this year because besides the stroke, Walt's mother, as well as one of his beloved sisters, died just one after the other. He wrote to Anne that he was sorry that he hadn't been in touch. Life had been tough lately. You know, I'm going through a lot right now. Mm -hmm. I know everybody says that, but I kind of really have been. Like some real shit going down. Yeah. But he let her know that he was okay. She shouldn't worry about him. Maria Popova on themarginalian.org writes, quote, He then did something astounding, something the effect of which on a love-struck heart he must not have realized. He wrote, quote, The enclosed ring I have just taken from my finger and sent to you with my love. Oh, Walt. Walt. No, no, no. no. <laughs> you may as well ask her to marry you. Oh, dude. my God. <laughs> Well, Anne gets this ring that uh, her, uh, you know, the object of her obsession sent her. And of course, she's like, red alert, red alert, <laughs> not a drill. My beloved, I will wear this ring until I die. I can feel you in it. It will never leave my finger. This is the most important. My precious, <laughs> my precious ring. No one can take it from me. It's my own. <laughs> and then she's like, hey. 
since you sent me this ring, how about I move to America? Isn't uh, that a great idea, Walt? I'll just come there. Oh, shit. You know, of course, Walt's like, uh, yeah, no, that's okay. That's really not necessary. <laughs> like, you're good. Where are you at? Maria Popova theorizes that Walt was not just concerned about you know, her expectations for a romantic relationship between them or possibly having to reveal his, you know, true sexuality to her. Right. Any of that, all that was probably going on in his brain. But Maria kind of is like, also, he must have realized that she has put Walt on this pedestal that is impossible to live up to. Oh, my God, to. yeah. So he's like, if you meet me in person, all I can do is disappoint you. Right. I can't be the man, you, your mate that you want. I, I mean, I'm never going to live up to whoever you've got in your brain that you're yeah. writing to because I am I love your letters, but I don't know who this guy is. Because when, you, you know, don't meet your heroes isn't just right. that they'll be pieces of shit. It's often that just like you have set, you have created a version of them that can't exist. Right. And you will inevitably be disappointed, not necessarily because they're bad people. Right. And that that, that quote, I think, gets misinterpreted mm-hmm. a lot. It's like, don't meet your heroes because they'll be pieces they of suck. shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just like, don't meet your heroes because you, they cannot possibly be the character you've created. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and they're going to do something stupid and you're going to go, huh? Right. They're going to be human beings. Right. Exactly. And you're like, ew, I hate human beings. Gross. <laughs> they're I thought terrible. you were a god among men. <laughs> But Anne would not be persuaded against moving. And she was like, honestly, her daughter Beatrice wanted to become a doctor. And in England, it was basically impossible for a woman to do that because they were not allowed in the hospitals to complete their clinical training. So they could read a book all day long, but they couldn't actually go work with any patients or anything. Wow. So she's like, well, Beatrice wants to be a doctor. You can get that training in America. I'm moving to America to be a good mom, not because I'm thirsty for this poet. (laughs) (laughs) I am a wonderful mother. So in 1876, she set sail, moved herself and three of her kids to America. Now, fortunately, Anne was not love-struck enough to just show up on his doorstep in Camden, New Jersey or something (laughs) with like a bag packed. Um, Instead, she settled in Concord, Massachusetts. She made friends with Ralph Waldo Emerson and her other literary neighbors there. And she did finally get to meet Walt in person. And we will see what that meeting is like right after this commercial break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top 
of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Right before the break, we talked about Anne's daughter, Beatrice, wanting to become a doctor in England, but they wouldn't let women mm-hmm. into the hospitals to complete their training. I've just, I'm just trying to imagine the... Well, I mean, it's not hard to imagine what the thought process was there. You know, I, I'm sure it's like, oh, by Joe, we can't have a woman in the hospital. Far <laughs> too distracting. What if I'm doing open heart surgery and I see a boob? Oh. Oh, my hand could go crazy. Whoa, I'll be so distracted. <laughs> I do think it's weird, though, because I feel like there must have been female nurses still. Yeah, yes. Well, you have nurses. You can wait outside. <laughs> we don't need you. They, you gotta like run a you know sponge, and they gotta like do a bucket brigade to get the sponge to it. They have big blanket over their head or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Just a really long stick from outside the window. <laughs> it brings it there in. you go, doctor. <laughs> or male nurses. Or male nurses, which I, I'm, that's why I'm like, I, I guess I would have to look into it because I don't know for sure. But maybe it really was just the, the Great War that made a oh, lot yeah. of women, you know, start nursing because the men were off fighting. And right. Kind of changed a lot of medical stuff, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. If you know, let me know. They were like, I didn't look it up. Oh, shit. Turns out a brain attached to two legs and two hands or any number of legs and any number of hands <laughs> is still useful to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Amazing revelation. <laughs> but still, I better not see a boob. <laughs> okay, so Anne comes to America and she finally meets her Adonis, <sighs> Walt Whitman. Who, by the way, is it? In his 60s. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. He is an old man. Well, Maria Popova writes, quote, under the hard light of reality, <laughs> Anne Gilchrist's idealized romantic love soon melted into a warm and large-hearted affection that would bind the two for the remainder of their lives. Well, that's nice. Yeah. So she sees him and she's like, oh, wait a minute. I have I, definitely, I've been picturing Joe Manganiello And I show up. I thought this was my salt and pepper zaddy. <laughs> but turns out. <laughs> he's just a regular. He's like an old guy. Old guy. <laughs> and you know what? A really cool old guy. Love you. You're uh, so right. great. But what was I thinking? <laughs> Super cool old guy who's going to be a great friend of mine. But I, I'm, I'm glad that she didn't like get stubborn about it. And yeah. stick with You know, because some people right. do that even if they don't really aren't really in love. Right. They're just like, well, that's what I thought. So I have to stay yeah. with that right, somehow. Right. 
I'm glad she was like, no, we talked. We had a lovely meeting. And you know what? This is just a really she, good friend. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, oh, wait. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This makes more sense, yes. actually. You know what? I turns out I was living in La La Land yeah. in my head. And this is actually way more like reality now that I think I about it. I wonder if she's like, I just really missed my husband. And we yeah, used to, for sure. you know, like like with Walt, I would tell him what I thought about things I read. And I, you know, just a similar intellectual maybe uh, connection yeah. to that. And she sort of like did some transference type type thing maybe and when she met him she's like I don't really want to yeah I don't want to fuck you I don't want to live with you I don't know what I was thinking I'm just so glad that I did at least she did reach out though and right. make this wonderful relationship Absolutely. happen between them well and it just shows you truly how intoxicating language mm-hmm. can be and how yes. powerful these words were that Walt mm-hmm. was writing yeah. he's like getting ladies you know 5,000 miles up. away <laughs> all turned up <laughs> Their knickers were in a twist. <laughs> so after that, they're like BFFs. Total, total buds. <laughs> Walt often joined Anne and her kids for dinner. Her kids started calling him Uncle Walt. And one of her sons even painted a portrait of him. Oh. Walt wrote of her, quote, Among the perfect women I have met, I have known none more perfect in every relation than my dear, dear friend, Anne Gilchrist. He also wrote, quote, I have that sort of feeling about her which cannot be easily spoken of. Love, strong personal love, too. Reverence, respect. You see, it won't go into words. All the words are weak and formal. Mm. What a what a thing to hear someone say. But I can't, I don't have the language to describe how good I feel about you. Especially a poet. Uh, right? I mean, Your whole job amazing. is to do that. Yeah. And I wonder if he is. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems to be such a powerful relationship yeah. for both of them, even though it ended up not being a love connection right. like she might have been wishing for. It really they their connection mattered so much to both of yeah. them. It'd be like that the world's greatest portrait artist was like, mm-hmm. I can't capture capture you. I cannot paint a painting beautiful enough Ugh. that it looks like you mm. or like a chef, you know. Right. I can't make you a, a soup good enough. I can't make a soup you deserve. <laughs> no be like, soup Damn. for you. <laughs> <laughs> like, sounds like you don't want to make a soup. Yeah, sounds sir. like you're lazy. <laughs> so Anne survived her own little friend zone here with Walt. <laughs> <laughs> like the phantom zone, but she got brought back. <laughs> Can I talk about the friend zone for a second? It's a little sure. sidetrack. I know we're, we got a lot of sidetracks today, but True. it, you know, God, it's garbage the way people, <laughs> the way people use it. And it's, I'll, I'll say it's, very misused. I think mm-hmm. the, the the idea of the friend zone got uh, kind of taken over and obscured and 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 used very differently than its original intention. Yeah, because a lot of people are like, "Oh, this girl is this girl who owes me sex or a relationship. You know, built me up and then plunked me in the friend zone. So mm-hmm. now she won't give it to me, or whatever." When in fact, to me, it was always like. You meet someone, because I've done this, you meet someone and you're like attracted to them and you hang out for a while and like six, eight months go by and you're like, oh, wait, no, I can't sleep with you. We're, we're, we're friends, like yeah. we're buddies, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, I think I think you're so right, because it, the problem is, is that we're not willing to admit that there's many, many, many different types of love and connection. Yes. And like like Walt was talking in, in in the last episode, we kind of talked about how Walt was like, it doesn't need to be sex, but there should be romantic affection between men. I yeah. should be hugging you and kissing you and telling you how wonderful you are. Right. That is food for your soul to get that from your peers. Right. And I think that's important, you know, and that I think that's true of women too. you know, having that, that, and you do feel attracted, right? It's not necessarily a sexual attraction. Right. But you know you're in a room with people and you're like, I'm attracted to this person. I right. want to find out more about you. You yeah. seem interesting. I don't know why, but your vibes are working for me. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you're like feeling a tingling in your loins necessarily. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just like I feel like we could have a connection that yeah. is important to me. So, yeah, I just wish people – it feels like people approach a lot of relationships like, could we maybe fuck? Instead uh-huh. of like – the foundation should be, do we have a connection here whatsoever? Yeah. And whatever that is, however far it goes, however intimate it gets, I'm happy. That that added yeah. to my life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. We were friend zoned and That's then we true. got married. <laughs> <laughs> friend zone was collapsed. And now yeah. we're not friends at all. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> no, absolutely not. No, no. longer friends. <laughs> <laughs> so Anne did return to England eventually, but and she did maintain a correspondence and, and a deep friendship with Walt right up until she died in 1885. And Walt wrote just a beautiful poem when she passed. So let's head over to Poetry Corner and hear Going Somewhere, a poem for Anne Gilchrist by Walt Whitman. My science friend, my noblest woman friend, now buried in an English grave, and this a memory leaf for her dear sake, ended our talk. The sum, concluding all we know of old or modern learning, intuitions deep, of all geologies, histories, of all astronomy, of evolution, metaphysics all, is that we all are onward. Onward, speeding slowly, surely bettering. Life, life an endless march, an endless army. No halt, but it is duly over. The world, the race, the soul, in space and time, the universes, all bound as is befitting each, all surely going somewhere. That really like brings a tear to my eye. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the reason this poem makes me cry is that you can feel how much pain. Yeah. And how much he's thinking like, but the good thing is, that's the point, right? right? The point is, we're constantly going forward. Yeah. You can't go back. You can't stop. You just every day wake up and you keep moving on. Yeah. And that means her soul is still moving somewhere. Yeah. It's still part of everything. It still has a place. Yeah. And I don't know. I just find that beautiful. Oh, until we figure out how to go back and then. Well. Then it's over. <laughs> Then everything's, I mean, in a good way. And then I'm it's fix over, everything. But in a good way. Yeah, in a good way. Look, why, okay, why are we so drawn to it? Why do we want mm. to travel through time so badly, if not as, a, as uh, an inspiration to figure mm. it out? Yeah. But I also think that you can't go back in time. I think you can, right. yeah, I think you can go forward in time. Right, what? Was it the theory that, like, you could only go back to when time travel was invented, but well, no time before? Yeah. I've always said you have to build a receptor first. Oh. Right? You have to build a mm-hmm. receiver unit. Before. Before you can. And then in the future, maybe. Maybe. But honestly, from the from the probably 45 minutes worth of YouTube videos that I've watched <laughs> on the subject. Making uh, me an expert. Uh-huh. I think that it, it sounds like backwards time travel might not be quantumly possible quantumly but forward could it's all about you know it's all about gravity and uh time is a plane and space moves in this it's like you're at a diagonal so you got a graph going two directions and one space and one's time and you can move through one and then if you go through the other you change the shape of the line so now you're all experts too you're welcome I feel like I've really gotten caught up <laughs> on quant- quantum physics. <laughs> there you go. So onward and Gilchrist through time That's and right. space. Onward, onward, surely going somewhere. But even though Anne was such a fan, oh, the UK edition was getting slammed across the land. Oh, now who's a poet? Heyo. <laughs> Walt would be like rhyming. Okay. Wow, so boring. Okay, William Blake. <laughs> now the Marginalian quotes one review as saying that Walt's four themes: America, democracy, personality, and materialism, were shallow, and that Walt thought the answer to all life's problems was just to say nice things about everything, which is <laughs> the most grumpy shit I've ever heard in my life. Wow. And the review goes on to say, quote. His style has nothing in common with either the Bible, Shakespeare, Plato, or any other hitherto honored name in literature. <laughs> but that his grotesque, ungrammatical, and repulsive rhapsodies can be fitly compared only to the painful ravings of maniacs' dens. Wow! <laughs> he concludes, quote, It has been said of Mr. Whitman by one of his warmest admirers, He is democracy. 
we really think he is, in his compositions at least, being, like it, ignorant, <gasps> sanguine, <gasps> noisy, well, coarse, and chaotic. I never. Well, what's with a drive-by for democracy? Right? Jeez. <laughs> Let me take the opportunity to share a few words about democracy. I like the monarchy. <laughs> Wow. This well, I guess they were still they were still pretty sore <laughs> from the American Revolution. I guess right? so. I guess so. It was only a few. It's only a hundred years old. Before, yeah. <laughs> before this, so you know everybody's a critic. Right. You know, there's always something trendy to hate on. So the cool thing to do at this point in England was to trash talk Walt Whitman. Wow. And college kids all over would get together and they'd see who could diss leaves of grass the hardest. Wow, to, damn. Like the TikTok challenge of a <laughs> They were like, I want to dump this bucket of ice water on my head and then tell you why Walt Whitman sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to hear about some of these college kids, one in particular who you have definitely heard of and his relationship to Walt Whitman right after this commercial break. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today 
and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Welcome back to Ridiculous Romance. So, in Ireland, there was one college boy who joined his friends as they laughed and teased while taking turns reading Walt's poetry, probably in some like, eh, stupid voice, oh, look at me. Whoa, here's a song of myself. Blah, blah, blah. I'm so special. <laughs> I sound my barbaric yaw. <laughs> I'm so clever. <laughs> but this one particular boy, he wasn't so sure about slamming Walt's work because mm-hmm. he himself was a future author. Oh. You know him as the creator of one of the most celebrated horror stories of all time. This book spawned an entire genre. It's been made into countless movies. His main character sucked. Oh. That's right. It was none other than Bram Stoker. Cool. And when he heard his friends during their way through <laughs> Leaves of Grass one night, he decided that he had to get his hands on a copy. He's like, there's something here. Right, something's speaking to me. Yeah, something about the nighttime and this book <laughs> makes me thirsty. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, I, too, am a fleshy, sensual creature. <laughs> now, Bram Stoker stayed up all night reading the entire book of Leaves of Grass, and it moved him so much that he sat down and he wrote this stream of consciousness fan letter. Once he woke up in the harsh light of the morning, it embarrassed him so much that he'd written this that he tucked it away into a drawer in his desk and he did not send it. We've all written that letter, you know. I know, right. But he didn't tear it up. No. He was just like, let me put this away. This is not for now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking last night, but man, that that book really turned me on and I... (laughs) not thinking with a clear head. Yeah, (laughs) the blood was rushing, but I don't know where. (laughs) But he did start defending Walt Whitman in his classes and his literary circles, and he started to make a name for himself as a drama critic. Mm. Because, you know, all these other kids are just shit-talking, making dumb fart jokes about Walt Whitman's work, and he's Mm -hmm. like, well, I actually... Well, I actually have something critical to say about it, and let me break it down for you why it's so good. And not only did I write Dracula, but I also found a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. Like, <laughs> like I don't think Bram Stoker sounded like Lucky Charms Leprechaun, but that's that's what you get here on Ridiculous Romance. <laughs> but no, finally, four years later, Bram Stoker was able to get up the courage to send this letter to Walt. Nice. This thing is over five pages long. You know he got a hand cramp. Oh, yeah. And near the end, he writes, quote, It was no small effort that I began to write, and I feel reluctant to stop. But I must not tire you anymore. If you would ever care to have more, you can imagine, for you have a great heart. How much pleasure it would be to me to write more to you. How sweet a thing it is for a strong, healthy man with a woman's eye and a child's wishes to feel that he can speak to a man who can be, if he wishes, father and brother and wife to his soul. I don't think you will laugh, Walt Whitman, nor despise me, but at all events I thank you for all the love and sympathy you have given me in common with my kind. Hmm. Very interesting. Yes. He was like, you could be my brother, my mom, my (laughs) wife, my dog, my (laughs) dentist. You could literally fill every hole in my life. Oh. And I mean that wink-winkingly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, any sympathy you have in common with my kind. Mm-hmm. Winker, winker, mm. winker, wanker. <laughs> P.S. I'm young and Irish, which I know you like. 
I am literate, but I can pretend. <laughs> Maria Popova on the Marginalian writes, quote, It is hard not to wonder what Stoker meant by my kind. It's not that hard. Surely those besotted with the poetic and governed by the profoundest truths of nature and the human heart, but possibly also those cast out and made invisible by their time and their society for possessing a heart too defiant of convention. Mm. I like how she dresses it up as well in metaphor. It's true. <laughs> you know? It's true. It's like, but possibly also because he's gay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, he really saw himself. He did not make it much clearer. Which I think is interesting, too, because we know it was censored. Right. A lot of the sexy, salacious stuff was taken out. Yeah. But Brahms still Brahms saw right picked it. up the message. Yeah. What he picked up was Walt was putting mm-hmm. it down. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, I may not be able to see myself in a mirror, but I see <laughs> you in this text. Ah, ah, ah. One gay subtext. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Ooh, gay subtext. <laughs> that's, that's what Bram Stoker sounds like. I did think Count Chocula was a gay icon as well. Count Chocula? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Count Chocula is total gay icon. For sure. Most vampires, <laughs> honestly. That's true, yeah. Well, vampires, they live forever. They're like, what the? What, what am, why am I going to limit myself? True. That's so true. Yeah. Why would you? I got an eternity to go explore exactly. everything. That's why I love what we do in the shadows, because they're just like, I mean, what? why Why would yeah. I say no? I'm, of course we're pansexual. I'm a billion years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, by the time Brahms sent this fan letter, he was a single man working in theater at an age when most of his contemporaries would have already gotten married. So he's like an old bachelor by society mm. standards. Um, when he was 30, he finally did get married to Florence Balcom, who is a celebrated beauty, and she chose Brahm over her other suitor, Oscar Wilde. Oh. <laughs> um, you might remember this, actually, from our Oscar Wilde episode, yeah. that he was real into Florence, and she went with someone else. Wow, okay. And at first, Oscar was real butthurt about this. Really? But eventually, he and Brahm did become friends. Brahm, Brahm Stoker was a big fan of Oscar Wilde, and... So they did become friends eventually. Did they become more than more friends? Because I'm saying, like, that poor, cool. poor Florence, her 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 options know, right? were like. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maria Popova calls it a celibate uh, relationship, although oh. they did have one son together, so it was okay. not fully celibate. But right. she seems Florence seems to perhaps be a type of woman who did not particularly. She wasn't like a real sexy lady. Okay, sort of a cool blonde. Gotcha. I'm getting. I got those vibes anyway (laughs) from my reading so yeah even though she calls it a celibate union maybe it's like a one and done situation like they were like we'll get something going to you know get the the bloodline moving on (laughs) but otherwise (laughs) i ain't touching you and popova points out that dracula also has strong homoerotic overtones much like leaves of grass i mean we talk about you know penetrating your flesh with their teeth and Mm -hmm. so on you know it's a lot of many different things yeah so it's not likely that the homoerotic overtones and leaves of grass were overlooked by Bram Stoker. He definitely mm-hmm. saw that shit and and connected to it. There's those three chapters where Van Helsing is giving Jonathan Harker a blowjob. Oh, I also, mean, right. I mean, it's just like is it even an overtone at that point? Yeah, <laughs> it's fully text. <laughs> no, that's not true. But actually, I, uh, side note, mm-hmm. I didn't care for Dracula. Nah. Yeah. I'm not a big letter. Well, that's the thing. Epistolary is what it's called when it's all letters. You have to work so hard to get the story out of it. Mm -hmm. And I found a lot of the letters very tedious. It's like kind of fascinating, you know, Blair Witch style where you're like, look, if you piece all these together, you can pull a really scary story out of it. I'm like, all right, but I got to hear, dear Mina, you know, I had a sandwich today. Love your dearest Lucy. Oh, dear Lucy. Well, I also had a sandwich today and I met the strangest man. Love, Mina. And that's <laughs> just like that for so long. I know. It's kind of a book of its time. Yeah. Because then people were reading letters all the time. True. Whereas now we don't really read letters. So <laughs> back, we're just like, why are you fucking right now? Back then these? they're like, my God, I feel like I'm really there. <laughs> Only six weeks between one letter and the next. <laughs> Thrilling. <laughs> so quick. The- edge of my carriage seat. (laughs) Well, Maria concludes, quote, perhaps the gift of Whitman's poems for Bram Stoker, beyond the enchantment of beauty and poetic truth, was the supreme gift a work of art can confer upon the beholder, 
the gift of being seen. Now, Walt did respond to Brahms' letter, and he even said that he would love to meet him someday, though he thought it wasn't likely. I mean, yeah, he's like bedridden at this point. He's not traveling. He's like, I mean, if you happen to show up at my house, I guess. Right. (laughs) But they did. They met several times, actually. Brahm was actually the manager for an actor, a really famous actor at the time. And they would sometimes bring plays to America. The National Endowment for the Humanities quotes Brahm as saying, I found him all I had ever dreamed of or wished for in him. Large-minded, broad-viewed, tolerant to the last degree, incarnate sympathy, understanding with an insight that seemed more than human. Now, Walt invited him to visit again anytime he was in Camden, and Brom, and Brom probably said, sure, yeah, so, yeah, whenever I'm in Camden, New Jersey, I'll be sure to swing by. <laughs> no, Brom wrote, quote, need I say that I promised. He was like, Camden's about to get some plays up in here. <laughs> yes. I will just always <laughs> make it my business. Make sure. <laughs> Included on the tour. To come to Camden. At least for Brom, meeting his hero, no problem. He, yeah. He, he fully lived up to right. Brom's expectations. Right. Now, by this time, Walt was mostly bedridden. He had suffered a series of strokes, but he did still receive visitors, including Brom Stoker, two more times. He wrote letters and revised Leaves of Grass. He published several more editions. In the last week of his life, he was too weakened to hold a knife and fork even, but finally, on March 26th of 1892, he passed away. More than a thousand people visited his wake. His coffin was barely visible under the piles and piles of flowers and wreaths that were sent in. Mm. In death, his legacy, of course, is just vast. One of his friends, Mary Whittle Smith Costello, wrote once, quote, You cannot really understand America without Walt Whitman. Now, we mentioned at the top of part one all these pop culture references like fame and the Dead Poet Society. He inspired poets and musicians around the world. There is even a crater named for Walt Whitman on Mars. Walt Whitman isn't just the name of a crater on Mars. Of course, it is a crater on Mars. There it is. There's (laughs) this episode's Brooklyn Nine-Nine quote. (laughs) That was just for me and uh, Gianna Rowe. Oh, yes. <laughs> she reached out who, to say that she also she loves also Brooklyn nine So that's you and me, Gianna. <laughs> I hope we both got that reference. <laughs> Man, yeah. I hope somebody puts a crater of me on Mars one day. Wait a minute. Hey. No, I don't wish somebody makes a crater out of me on Mars. Yikes. One day. It's just like, okay. Like a sarlacc pit on Mars. But they, like they would just throw me at Mars in whatever crater I left. <laughs> oh, my God. Like an Eli-shaped Looney Tunes style crater. <laughs> Wiley Coyote. Well, now I kind of hope they do do that. No. <laughs> that sounds pretty funny. You know, if I got to go, that's a way. Not a bad way. Yeah. It is a way to go. <laughs> <laughs> that is a way to go. Amazing. So, yeah, these two, you know, never got a romantic connection with Walt, but they well, did get a different real, kind of romance. A different right? romance. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah. A romance of the maybe the soul and the brain yeah. rather than the body. A love. For sure. Absolutely. I mean, at this point, it seemed like Walt wasn't really probably very sexually active anyway. No. You know, with his no. health issues and just the age that he was at, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the time that he was living in. Right. Um, you know, surely he was kind of like, well, I had my fun back in New York City <laughs> in my 40s. <laughs> oh, trust me. I've got I've got the evidence. I've got the receipts right, right here in this book. <laughs> I have the book right here. <laughs> my Whitman sampler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But I'll tell you what, Speculation Station, he could have made that whole damn book up. That's true. It's not hard to pick up a notebook and say, last night I slept with this person. That's right. And the night before I slept with this person. He's just like, Frank, fact, William, Peter, You know Steven. what? I'm going to make one of those. Okay. I'm going to be like, last night I slept with, well, now I feel weird because it feels like I'm violating consent. <laughs> I'll have to make people up. I was going to list a bunch of, you know, I was going to put my my list on there, but I'll uh, I'll make up some names. Last night I slept with Kate Clanchert. That's a made up name. That's it? The the night before I slept with. You got to be like 22, long brown hair. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hot hot, hot Uh, night. Last night I slept with Kate Clanchett, uh, you know, what, 49 blonde actress. Uh, you know, just a totally made up person. <laughs> the night before, I slept with 
Lana Schmendrick, uh, 34, redhead, actress. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah. <laughs> totally You're made up people. I'm just coming type. up off the top of my head. Oh. Look. <laughs> that would be confusing for historians. Yeah. No, it would actually be a lot more like Walt's letter to John Simmons, where he's like, nah, bro, what you talking about gay stuff? I don't do gay stuff. Yeah, I right, like right. ladies. I got six <laughs> kids out there running around. I don't know where they are. <laughs> Everybody's like, no, you don't. <laughs> Historians pull up my book and they're like, it looks like this guy said that he slept with Kate Blanchett and didn't know how to spell her name. We're pretty sure he was lying. <laughs> Kate Blanchett has no such recollection. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Kate Blanchett, of course, still alive in the year 3822 when we found this document. I mean, if anyone should be cryogenically frozen. Or just, yeah, given the gift of eternal life. Well, she is an elf. True. So she'll be around for thousands of years. (laughs) She'd use it well. Uh, You know, it's our our ability to stay on subject. It really makes this show so special. Um, I love that about this. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's Walt Whitman, though. And I, I have to say, I did not know any of this stuff about no. Stoker, about Ann Gilchrist, no. about Peter Doyle, about his little black book. I mean, I didn't know any of that. And again, if only they had covered that stuff in school, right. I feel like people would read poetry a lot more. Oh, my God. I know. These guys' lives were crazy. Insane and interesting. And like, yeah. I mean, that's how you write. I mean, especially Walt. He's like, that's yeah. how you write poetry is you go live life. And then you have something to write about. Uh-huh. And, you know, that's very important. <laughs> Before you put pen to paper, do you have anything to say? Yeah. Look, uh, speaking of poets, I mean, there's just so like rich lives, obviously. Mm-hmm. These people, like you said, they have something to say because they lived. Yeah. You they know, they lived doing quite shit. a lot. Um, and I'll drop a teaser for our one day episode or rather 46-part episode on Emily Dickinson and <laughs> her little circle oh, of lovers. Because, woof, right? that's going to be a good or one, if too. if we ever get to Lord Byron, that'll have to be a long Lord one, Byron, too. we're going to have to we're gonna have to start a new podcast. A, a new podcast. Just the Bi- Ridiculous Byron. Season three. Just <laughs> Lord Byron. That's it. 100 episodes on Lord Byron. Oh, I can't. I need the variety. No, I I think he'd be maybe a Colette series style right. guy, but... There's so much to say. Again, just wild lives. Walt Whitman living just a beautiful life. I'm so amazed by this guy, his outlook Mm -hmm. and his just like unwavering eye for beauty in the world. Mm -hmm. He never stopped noticing, you know, noticing the little things around him Mm -hmm. and thinking like, holy shit, this is incredible. Yeah. What a wonderful world. And and people also like those connections. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I certainly a, a mindset that we should all aspire to. Yeah, find say. find the miraculous in yeah. every day. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. I mean, and he's not wrong. Again, if you dig down into everything, there's so much complicated shit about a a blade of grass. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, if you really think about it, it's pretty amazing that anything works, <laughs> or anything is what it is, or that it's here in this particular time, or that you are. Yeah. You know, that's that shit fills you with, like, I think, a sense of gratitude and excitement about the world around you, you know? And that's what I get out of him a lot is just a sense of wonder. I kind of want to read this little piece of Leaves of Grass that I had found yesterday. It says, in folks nearest to you, finding also the sweetest and strongest and lovingest happiness, not in another place, but this place. Not for another hour, but this hour. Man, in the first you see or touch, always in your friend or brother or nighest neighbor, woman in your mother or lover or wife, and all else thus far known, giving place to men and women. Hmm. That that especially. Happiness, not in another place, but this place. Not another hour, but this hour. Uh, In fact, it reminds me of the words of... Two of my favorite philosophers, Bill S. Preston Esquire (laughs) and Ted Theodore Logan, who said, (laughs) you know, we've been all across the past. Mm -hmm. We've been to the future. We've been to the afterlife. And we realized the best place to be is here. The best time to be is now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Bill and Ted are Walt Whitman's 
yeah. of today. Yeah, true. Teaching us true. how to be excellent to each other. Also friends with Abraham Lincoln as well. That's true. Yeah. They also loved Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> what a Lincoln. circle. What a wow, circle. Wow, I'm so glad we get to bring that Speculation back Speculation Station. Walt Whitman and Bill and Ted had a threesome at some point. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you, Walt would have loved Bill and Ted. Oh, oh yeah. My, he's oh, like, y'all God. are kind of dumb and you're yes. so cute. Oh, my God. This is my wheelhouse right here. Leaves of Grass would have ended with be excellent to each other and party, party on, on, dudes. dudes. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, yes. I think we should let y'all go. Mm-hmm. That what, what better words to end on? So true. <laughs> Carry that into your day. Yes. Please let us know what you thought of Walt's story. Uh, We just think it's beautiful, and we hope you did, too. Love, Walt. Reach out to us through email. You can get us at ridicromance at gmail.com. Right, or we're on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at DianaMiteBoom. And I'm at, oh, great, it's Eli. And the show is at Romance. Thank you so much for tuning in, spending your time with us today. Can't wait to bring you another episode next week. Stay tuned, and we'll catch you then. Love you. Bye. Bye -bye. So long, friends, it's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 